Tracy McMillan Hogan, and there are six strengths you can develop in order to have more meaning, peace, and joy in your life. I call this the happiness ladder. When it comes to being thankful, I've thought, okay, God commands us to live in thanksgiving daily, but how do I do that? I know that if I were more thankful and grateful, I'd also be more peaceful and happy, but how do I be more thankful and grateful? Today I'm going to tell you about an incredibly important psychological study on how to increase happiness by using gratitude. First, I have to tell you about a client who's possibly one of the most ungrateful, angry people I've ever met. Remember, I'm only telling you the important bits to protect her identity, and I'm reconstructing our dialogue from memory. I'll call her Alyssa. She was extremely depressed, about 37 years old, and she absolutely wore me out. I dreaded sessions with her. I'd see her name on my schedule, and I wanted to stay in bed, call in sick. She came in each week spewing rage like vomit onto my shoes. It was very difficult to stem the torrent to get a word in edgewise or do anything remotely therapeutic. Her job was an endless source of anguish. She earned good grades at a prestigious East Coast university, so she had high hopes for her career. Unfortunately, the government job she accepted after graduation proved to be a dud, a dead end. She said, my life is so awful. I can't make myself get out of bed. I'm always at least an hour late to work. It's excruciating to endure the mundane tasks day after day. It's way below my abilities. Life was so full of promise when I graduated. I'm way more qualified than anyone on my team. Every spring, I go through the long process for an application to get promoted. I get my hopes up, and then I get rejected. I've done this for 13 years. I'm wondering, why even try anymore? What's the use? For the next part of Alyssa's story to make sense, I have to share an unpleasant chapter of my history. When I was about nine, I stepped in this really stinky, smelly, mustard-colored dog poop, ignorant to the fact that it was my shoe making that pungent, acrid grossness in mom's car and in my bedroom and under the floor of my desk at school. I just kept walking around. I was just a little kid. And when I put on my shoes, I must have got it on my hands. And then I touched my face and my hair. The vile reek permeated my world for days. One sniff and my family and friends refused to sit by me. I was a little traumatized. Now I gag at the sight, smell, or mention of pet pee or poop. If I am walking outside and happen to see a pet relieving itself, it's the ultimate stomach churner. My head yanks away. I call this part of me that wants to retch at pet smells Lady Gag Gag. But let's face it, when you're being paid to listen to someone's problems, it's highly unprofessional to toss your cookies while your client pours out her soul. Counseling is about concentrating on your client's issues. Normally, I can keep Lady Gag Gag under control when I'm in session. If my mind goes to the smelly place, I say to myself, Focus on your client. Focus on your client. Alyssa reported that a big source of anguish was her apartment. She said that the complex was old and falling apart. They rarely fixed anything. She had several cats. She called them emotional therapy cats. 
but those are supposed to be highly trained and obedient, and hers were not. They peed all over her carpets, and now she's talking on, revealing that nugget of information, and my mind jumps to the dreaded place, that nasty place of bad pet smells. I'm thinking about the uric acid decomposing bacteria, releasing a horrible ammonia stench. Alyssa said her place smelled like a sewer. I have to put the wastebasket on my lap. Oh no, Lady Gag Gag has hijacked my mind. Alyssa plunges forward with the story. She's in so much pain, she's oblivious to my wastebasket and my gagging. And her male cats took turns marking their territory on her comforter. And I'm thinking about her sleeping under a comforter that has a pungent, skunky odor. I'm straining to keep my face calm and uninterested so I won't detract from her story. Alyssa doesn't notice me stifling my gags. She's focused on how it's so gross to open the front door and the smell just hits her and it makes her more depressed. So they're certainly not emotional support cats, more like emotional devastation cats. Then I realize there is an odor coming from my client and just as I'm about to vomit, she... Oh, thank goodness, changed the subject to her social life. Okay, she only had one significant relationship, a boyfriend who had been with her just two years. And of course, I wondered if the cats had anything to do with that. Alyssa would dearly love to have a family, so she has been trying to start the process of in vitro fertilization, but she'd have to pay for it all herself. And taxes were so much higher for single people, and no one would help her raise the baby. She believed the whole world was against single people. She stated that her boyfriend was verbally abusive and a lazy loser. The two years were so stressful. Fortunately, he disappeared, but then she'd gained so much weight that no one paid attention. No one asked her out. No one seemed to want her. She used to believe a baby would fix everything, but she thought she'd probably be a horrible mother and depressed all the time. I said, it sounds like you're drowning in worries and fear and sadness. She said, yes, I can't even sleep at night because things just go over and over in my brain. That's why I'm like two hours late to work. It sounds like you get paralyzed by these strong emotions, kind of like an emotional whirlpool sucking you down, controlling you. I asked Alyssa to read this out loud. It's called An Emotional Parable in Five Parts. Version 1. A woman is driving down the street at night. She doesn't see the construction and her car crashes into an open hole. She sinks into sewage right up to the top of the tires. If she tries to open the door, the smelly mud oozes into her new car. She's so mad. I'm going to sue this construction company. They should have more signs, more lights. Crap like this always happens to me. This is unfair. I don't even have someone to help me get out of this mess. The whole world is against single people. She sits in her car for hours, fuming, blaming everyone else. There's no cell service and nobody comes to help her. Finally, she takes one step into the sewage and gets out. Version 2. A woman is driving down the street at night. She doesn't see the construction. Her car crashes into the open hole. She's kind of upset, but she's been here before. After 15 minutes of frustration and anger, she decides she needs to think of three things she's grateful for in order to work up her courage. I'm grateful I have car insurance. I'm grateful I'm not hurt. 
I'm grateful the sewage is only a foot deep. She takes one step and gets out. Version 3. A woman is driving down the street at night. She's driving too fast. It's her habit. Her car crashes into an open hole. She laughs at herself. Okay, I'm here. She doesn't bother with anger. She is responsible for where she is. She quickly takes the first step and gets out. Version 4. A woman is driving down a road at night. She turns on her brightest headlights. She knows where the hole is. She breaks her habit and goes slower, so she sees it and drives around it. She saves so much time and energy. Version 5. The woman takes a different road. That's from Gary Van Warmerdam, A Critical Voice in Your Head, Progress in Five Chapters. So I asked Alyssa, what improved in version 2? Alyssa looked it over. The woman was able to get out by being thankful. I asked, what about version 3? Ah, she laughs at her stupidity and gets out even sooner. How about four? Alyssa reread. She breaks her habit and goes slow. I asked her, but which came first, changing her thoughts or changing her behavior? Alyssa said, changing your thoughts always comes before changing your behavior. I said, Alyssa, where are you with your job in this parable? Version one, two, three, four, or five. She said, oh, I know I'm still in the sewage with my job. I'm stuck in one. I said, yeah, because your thoughts are stuck. You're still so angry sitting in your car. Is it time to take a step to get out? She was very tentative. Well, maybe. I said, Alyssa, I'm going to tell you the best way I know to change thinking. I call it the gratitude attitude beatitudes. Number one, blessed are they who increase gratitude during prayer. Alyssa, you're pretty depressed. You're in a lot of pain. But like the parable, you know counting your blessings will help you take a step out into positive thinking. What if I told you that researchers had depressed study subjects keep a gratitude journal for 31 days and they were able to decrease depression? So we're calling it happiness and the researchers were calling it well-being. Researchers Emens and McCullough in 2003 manipulated gratitude to see the effect on well-being when they had depressed participants keep study one weekly or study two daily gratitude journals. Their most robust finding was a positive correlation between a conscious focus on blessings and a positive increase in well-being. The daily gratitude journaling group reported greater enthusiasm, alertness, and determination, and they were significantly more likely to make progress towards key goals. Interestingly, this group was more likely to offer help and support to other people. According to this research, if you were to keep a daily gratitude journal, it would help you focus on your blessings and feel and think more positively. If you chose to do this every day, you'd have more enthusiasm, alertness, determination, and make progress towards your key goal of getting a better job. Also, the bit about helping others. Can you imagine what it would be like to have more happiness in your life that comes from helping other people? Here's how I ask my clients to keep a gratitude journal. Most of us are really busy, so just do it as part of your prayers. Draw a vertical line halfway through your line paper. On the left, start listing six areas of life. They would be physical, spiritual, emotional, mental, social, and vocational. Then I asked Alyssa, what are you grateful for physically? Your physical body or the physical world around you? 
She said, well, I can see my mom recently had eye surgery and lost a lot of her vision. I said, good. So next to physical, you might write the word vision in your journal. And then what might you say to Heavenly Father to elaborate on that blessing and savor it? She said, well, I'd say, dear Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful I can see it's fall and there's so many beautiful colors. I said, good. I like how you took it slow and really got into that gratitude. Then I said to Alyssa, in the spiritual category, what could you say? And she said, well, I could write the word God. I could say, I'm thankful I have God in my life because I'm very lonely. But on the rest, she had to think for a long time. She said her life sucked. It was hard to think of anything positive. She couldn't feel grateful. I asked her to explain what the following three quotes might mean to her. Never let your emotions overpower your intelligence. Never let what you feel make you forget what is real. Facts over feelings. We discussed that perhaps a person doesn't feel grateful because their depressed feelings overpower their intelligence. Maybe there are some facts that she could try to see, like what was real, her blessings. In fact, that she did have a job. It was a fact that she had plenty of food and fuel for heat and air conditioning in the summer. On the emotional part, she said, well, I'm thankful I'm not too depressed to work because I'd lose my apartment and my car. In the mental, she said, I'm thankful I graduated from such a prestigious college. My parents will be paying for that for a long time. It's got to mean something somewhere. In the social, she wrote, and I'm thankful my parents have invited me for the holidays. I talk to them about once a month. They're good people. And I'm very thankful for my cats. In vocational, she wrote, at least I have a job. I said, according to the study on gratitude journals, this will get easier. The gratitude will start to flow better. You'll start looking for the good in things. And after a few months, you'll be much less depressed. Can you bring me your gratitude journal into session next week and read it to me? She said, Uh, To be honest, I don't want to do this. These feel like fake answers. I said, oh, I bet this feels fake. It takes time to develop an attitude of gratitude. We discussed the notion of fake it till you make it. Then I asked her to make a list of reasons why. Why go to all the effort? And I asked her to read some scriptures to me to come up with the reasons why and put herself into the scripture. DNC 7819, she said, God promises if I'm thankful, I'll be made glorious, and all the things of this earth shall be added to me even more than a hundredfold. Alma 3438, he asks me to live in thanksgiving daily. Luke 17, 11 through 19, he asks me to be grateful like the one leper out of the ten. Mosiah 2, 19 through 22, he asks me to render all the thanks and praise my soul is able. Here's another quote that answers the question, why cultivate gratitude? In one of the most important speeches of all time, Dieter F. Uchtdorf said, Gratitude to our Father in Heaven broadens our perception and clears our vision. It inspires humility and fosters empathy towards our fellow men and all of God's creations. Gratitude is a catalyst to all Christ-like attributes. A grateful heart is the parent of all virtues. Could I suggest that we see gratitude as a disposition, a way of life that stands independent of our current situation? In other words, I'm suggesting that instead of being thankful for things, we focus on being thankful in our circumstances, whatever they may be. From these verses and this talk, why gratitude? 
Alyssa, I'm asking you to write three reasons of why cultivate and increase your gratitude. Finally, I said, here's a blank gratitude journal for you to start with. There are three columns. On the left are your areas of life, physical, spiritual, emotional, mental, social, and vocational. The middle column is to write a few words of thanks in each of the areas. And the right-hand column is where you may feel prompted to ask God for help. I said, will you commit to use this three-column gratitude prayer journal? Emons and McCullough got their results from 31 days of gratitude journal study. What results will you see after 31 days? Take the gratitude journal challenge and see your results. A month later, Alyssa was a little softer. She was doing her gratitude journal in the evenings. It helped her calm her mind so she could sleep. She started being able to get up and to get to work on time. She started to be thankful about things that she did at work and being thankful for some of the people. That gave her a tiny ray of hope that she might get promoted, and if not, get another job. She started to feel her value to others and to God. Another idea to increase our gratitude in prayer is to limit ourselves to a pure prayer of thanksgiving, no asking. I have a personal tradition on Thanksgiving to find a time to take a walk outside away from my family and all the happy chaos and just spend some real time thanking God for everything I can think of spiritually, emotionally, mentally, socially, and vocationally. It is a little weird not to ask for anything, but I have especially fond memories of the closeness I feel to God, especially some years I've been able to walk around in the snow, in the mountains. And when I've done it this way, I feel so richly blessed. This can take a long time. But if God didn't want us to say a few long prayers, why would he put examples of long prayers in the scriptures, like Jesus going into the wilderness 40 days to pray, or one prophet praying all day and into the night? So the first gratitude attitude beatitude is, Blessed are they who increase gratitude during prayer. The second one is, Blessed are they who give God the glory for their growth. This is a hard one. In today's world, people affirm, I believe in myself and my abilities. I am capable of creating success. I will make a positive difference today. I can do this. Do you hear anything slightly off in these affirmations? A wise man said something like this, One of the greatest sins of the inhabitants of the earth is they are guilty of the sin of ingratitude. We see men and women raised up with extraordinary gifts or with great intelligence, and he or she is instrumental in developing some great principle. They ascribe this great genius and wisdom to themselves. They attribute their success to their own energies, labor, and mental capacity. They do not acknowledge the hand of God in anything connected with his success, but ignore him altogether and take the honor unto themselves. God is not pleased, but is angry with them because they will not acknowledge his hand in all things. That's from Joseph F. Smith. Think of it. Over the past year, how has God helped you grow and develop? I know for myself, I'm so incredibly grateful for all the help on writing these 13 podcasts. I do my best. I sit at my computer. I work and work. I draw on my 30 years of experience as a mom, as a counselor, as a psychology professor. In God's work, I am like a pencil in his hand. Once there was a young woman who had the idea to help the poorest of the poor. She wanted to feed and comfort the dying and diseased in many countries. 
Did you know that in 1990, there were over 1 million missionaries of charity working to keep that idea alive? These included hospices and homes for people with HIV and AIDS, leprosy and tuberculosis, soup kitchens, children's and family counseling programs, orphanages and schools. If each of those 1 million people helped just 10 people, that would be 11 million people helped. She was a great success, but this young woman always gave God the credit. Like Mother Teresa says, in God's work, I am like a pencil in his hand. He does the thinking. He does the writing. The pencil has nothing to do with it. The pencil has only to be allowed to be used. If you know someone who would be happier if they could increase their gratitude using the first two gratitude attitude beatitudes, please hit those three dots, then the line that says share episode. Until next time, live like his son, help others on their way.